Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When was the last time you had an orgasm? Okay, but when was the last time you had an orgasm that was so incredible it healed your sexuality? Lots of us approach masturbation as just a thing to do to get us off and move on with our day. But what if you could touch yourself to facilitate sexual liberation? With shock rubs, you can. I've been using my shock rub for years, and what I love about it is that shock rubs not only gets me off, but helps me create an intentional self-pleasure practice that connects me to my body and my inner wisdom. Shock rubs is a woman-owned sexual wellness company that makes beautiful handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. These crystals are a natural earth-made material that come with their own unique properties to help awaken higher levels of consciousness, help you work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. And the orgasms are incredible. If you want to bring sensual vibes and much-needed healing to your sexuality, go to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 15% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION for 15% off your purchase. Center your pleasure and heal your sexuality with chakras, and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, I'm Evian Whitney, and this is The Sexually Liberated Woman. So way back in the day when this podcast first came to be in 2015, one of my visions was to feature conversations on the show with some of my favorite people where we would talk about their sex lives. 
In my head, I imagine that this would look like me giving them space to talk about their origin story as a sexual person and to share some of the highlights and challenges they faced as they sought sexual liberation. Like, what was it like when they first realized that sex was a thing? Who gave them the talk? What was their coming out story like if they came out? And what kinds of shame did they experience regarding sex? That kind of thing. My vision was to intersperse their personal stories with the interviews I was doing with sexuality experts, and I wanted to call this storytelling series Sex with Friends. I actually did this once with my friend Ida Mandalay in episode 13, but that was the only time I did it, partially because other interviews took precedence, and then I went through a whole-ass creative crisis about what it meant to have a full-fledged podcast, which is a story for another time. Anyway, the idea is still really, really exciting to me and something I've been wanting to do and make space for on this platform. So I'm bringing back Sex with Friends, and I'm so excited that my friend Diamond Styles is being featured today. I love many, many things about Diamond, but one of the things I love so much about her is that she is a prolific storyteller. Listening to her speak about how she came up into her sexual womanhood and all the adventures she went through to get there had me enraptured. And I also think I laughed the most I've ever laughed in a conversation on this podcast. And I say it in the episode, which you'll hear in a moment, how important it is that we have conversations like these, where we give ourselves and others a safe space and permission to talk about our sexual identities and the journey of self-discovery that we went through in order to know who we really, really are as sexual beings. So I hope as you're listening to Diamond's story, you're able to recognize how important this kind of storytelling is. Her story might not be anywhere close to your own, but her journey and process of sexual self-discovery deserves to be honored and respected. I feel like I should also mention that there's some language that Diamond uses and some experiences she describes as she talks about her journey coming into her sexuality as a trans woman that might not be easy for you to hear. There's nothing in there that details abuse or trauma per se, but there are some parts of her story that might make you a little uncomfortable. And if at any time things become too much for you, you're welcome to stop this episode and come back to it later. Or not. I mean, either way, listen to your body and take care of yourself. That said, if you feel some uncomfortable feelings coming up and you have the bandwidth and are in a good space... I would like to encourage you to sit with that discomfort, especially if you are a cis white person. I think it's all too easy to hear the stories of marginalized folks and not be able to handle the truth or the messiness that's within them. So again, I just want to come back to how important it is that we give people space to tell their stories outside of respectability politics, and also how important it is that we witness stories that are outside the preconceived notions of what a story should sound like. Anyway, shout out to Diamond Styles, and please make sure you check out her podcast, Marcia's Plate. It's community, it's joyful, it's heartfelt, it's black as fuck, and it honestly should be required listening for every single person on the planet. Okay, here's Diamond's story. 
Hey, Diamond, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. So before we um, hit record, I was like having a fangirl moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of want to do that here just so everyone knows like how much of a fan I am of you, your work. I love Marsha's Play. And I want to give a shout out to T with Queen and Jay for turning me on to your amazing podcast. And I've been listening for the last several months. And as soon as I started getting really into it, I was like, oh my God, I want this woman on my podcast now. So I'm like, I'm so glad that you said yes. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm really excited to talk sex with you. Oh, of course I'm going to say yes. I will listen to you too. And <laughs> oh, I you think- do? Yes. Wait, I didn't. Yes. Ever since you, I think you tagged me in a post, maybe like like six months ago. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I feel like uh, it's it's such amazing to be in community with people like you, people with like T with Queen and Jay. Yeah, like Queer Walk. People like Bag Ladies. Bag Ladies. Yes. So many people that um just are so brilliant and so amazing. And Marsha's play would not be where it is if it wasn't for their support. So I appreciate all of you. <laughs> oh my god, I I had no idea that you listened to my podcast. Oh. Like when I first when I first reached out to you, I was like, I bet you she doesn't even know who I am. But I'm just gonna go with it anyway. So knowing that you listen to my podcast, I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh. I'm gonna be able to do this episode. Okay, wait. I'm gonna like <laughs> I'm gonna center myself. Um, <laughs> That is so cool. That is so, so cool. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me and and listening to my work too. It means a lot. You're welcome. Okay. So I want to hear more about you, about how you came into your sexual queenness. Um, And so I just have a few questions that I want to ask about about that because one of my philosophies that I try to live by is that we need to be asking how the sex is with our friends. Like we need to be having more conversations about sex, not from a place of troubleshooting, but from a place of like, Hey girl, how's the sex? Like what's going on? Let's do check-ins. And so this is my way of being able to do that, to talk to some of my favorite people, ask them how the sex is and get a real well-rounded story uh, of who they are as sexual people. Oh, good. Because I think um, my life is full of check-ins that taught me because other people weren't trying to teach me. Mm, mm, Same, same, same. So my first question to kind of like start it all is what was your first memory of sexual energy? Like when did you first encounter sexual feelings that let you knew that like, ah, sex is a thing? So way early on, I have been I have a crazy memory. So I remember a sexual situation when I was two. Oh, wow. Kind of, and it wasn't any kind of molestation or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was peer on peer. I remember I was, um, I was at this party with my mom and um, she, all the kids were in the back room playing. It wasn't a lot of kids. It was two of us. I went to the back room. All the grown folks was playing cards and drinking and having fun and, you know, doing what grown folks do. <laughs> and, and so, you know, in the black family, you know, kids stay work in a child's place, stay at a grown folks face. Right. And, so, <laughs> and so I would go, um, they sent us back. It was me and a little girl. She was about four. I was about two. And she was, I was in the room and she was so excited to share with me all the toys she had. Cause she was the only child and I was the only child. So just having somebody there, it's like, Ooh, <laughs> let me show you all the toys. Yeah. 
So we go into her room and she has this big black trunk full of toys and it's black with like silver with like gold little studs on it and it's on the bottom of bottom end of foot of her bed and she opens it up and she has all of these girly toys and you know being that I was a little boy I didn't have the girly stuff that I kind of was attracted to but Mm -hmm. you know at the time I didn't have any kind of I was two so I didn't have any of these kind of concepts but I knew that I liked the girly stuff you see what I'm saying yeah but my mother didn't buy me that stuff my mother I'm old so my mother bought me he-man and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) so when when she started pulling out these toys she was just pulling them out and showing me all kind of different stuff but her favorite thing her thing that made her the most excited was a nurse box so it was plastic, it was white, and it had the um, Red Cross looking sign. And when you open up the box, it had a stethoscope in it. And she opened it up and she put it on her ears like, you know, old school stethoscopes. And then you know, they take the stethoscope and put it on your heart to hear your heart, right? Mm-hmm. And hear you breathe. So she laid me down on that truck, on that trunk, and she started to listen to my heart with the stethoscope. But as she as she kept going, she just went to different parts of my body. And eventually she got to my pee-pee. And I'm saying pee-pee like I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I was a child. <laughs> um, when she got to my pee-pee, she started to perform oral sex on me. Mm. And it was so strange because I didn't have any concepts of sex. Like I said, I was two and she was four. We were children. And um, at the time, I didn't know what she was doing. I just know that she was touching my pee-pee. And my mother is a, is a victim of young sexual assault. So it, she taught me to say things like, if somebody's touching your pee-pee, you say something. If, if anybody's touching your wee-wee, you say something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> or your booty. She was really, really protective like that. So when it started to happen, it was confusing because I had been it had been instilled in my head by my mom. You know, somebody touch your wee wee, you say something. And so I came out the room. Once it all stopped, I came out the room and I was trying to tell my mother that she was touching my wee wee. Mm. But my mother interpreted it as. I had to pee. <laughs> so, oh my god! So, so um, I, now that I'm older and I look back on it, I'm like, "Oh, what was happening to her? Where she thought that this was cool? Um, right. What was happening? What was happening to her? Where this is like a normal thing that she does? Because it just went there. It wasn't like, it, I, like I was just laying on my back. On the she told me to get on my back and she started listening to my heart and it, it started off so normal. Like we were playing a game, like mm-hmm. operation or something. And then it turned to that. And I was, I remember being not like scared, nothing like that. It wasn't anything traumatizing like that, but just confused by what was happening. 
And um and then when and then just the the confusion, my mama didn't get it. <laughs> my mom didn't get it. And she was like, oh, come on, come on, boy. Um let's go to um let's go. We we'll go to the bathroom at the house. And I'm looking like, no, I'm telling you, she got some my wee wee. But we go back and we actually end up moving from that apartment. So I ne- never actually saw her again. But that was the first time I remember something sexual happening to me. And I can't say that it was it wasn't arousing or anything like that. Right. But for me, in regards to my sexual arousal, I remember when my my mother's brothers used to, um, they were like, when they lived with us, she was like 21. My mom had me when she was 17. And when she was like 21, her brothers, who were in their teens, when she was 21, came to stay with her and they lived with us in the house. And these were some hot in the tail teenage boys. Mm. Um never done anything to me totally protective of me in regards to that um but they had girls in and out having sex with them in my room (laughs) they had you know they had vhs porn tapes that they would watch and i would sneak around the corner and watch them watch the porn (laughs) i would and and how old were you i it was i had to be seven, eight, six, okay. seven, eight, somewhere around there. They stayed with her for a while. So it was a, they were connected to our life early on. Seeing, hearing them have sex. I remember a time when um, my uncle Mike would sneak this white girl into my room because we, it was only two bedrooms, my mom's bedroom and mine. And when I would fall asleep, he would sneak her. We live in a basement apartment. He would sneak her through the window and try to have sex with her while I was sleeping in my bed. (laughs) And so me being, these moments would be sexually arousing for me, knowing that sex was going on Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, it would be sexual arousing for me. So I remember one time he was having sex with her in my bed and they thought I was asleep. And I took my hand and reached and grabbed his penis while I was in her vagina. And he and he and he jumped up so fast. <laughs> he jumped up so fast and and like was what are you doing? And I and I knew I was doing wrong, of course. And mm. so I I jumped up and said, "Mama, he having this white girl in your motherfucking house." <laughs> He having sex with this white girl in your motherfucking house. Oh my and god! My, my mother would get up and go off and try to beat up the white girl, <laughs> <laughs> not even thinking about what I just did. Hmm. But <laughs> but it was hilarious, and I would do that to him all the time because he's because he would because he's also one of them uncles that. Because I was a feminine male child, he would be the one that would be this particular one. It was two. Mm. It was Billy and White Mike. We call him White Mike because he looks white, but he was the one that would try to toughen me up. He was he was the one that would, you know, punch me in my chest. Boom, stop acting like a fag. Boom, stop acting like a girl, punching mm. me and stuff like that really um tormented me. The other one was a little bit more nice. Mm-hmm. Um but so I would love to terrorize him. But they <laughs> so this both, is payback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they both had my uncle Billy, the nicer one. When he, I remember one time he was having sex and he came out the room and his dick was fully erect, but he had a condom on it. Mm. Okay, I didn't know what a condom was, 
So because he was dark skinned, and you remember back, well, you you're way younger than me, but back in the day, condoms were like one color, that little, that little tan color. Mm-hmm. So when he came out the room, he had a condom on his penis. And but he's dark skinned. So when you put a dark skinned penis in that tan condom, it from where he was standing, the bathroom was behind him, and the mm-hmm. and I was like in between him and the bathroom. It looked like his dick was glowing, like there was <laughs> some kind of glow around his dick. <laughs> so he didn't see me because I was in a portion of the hallway where it was dark, and he couldn't see me. And I was kind of trying to sneak up to go get something out of the refrigerator, but he came out of the room. And and the light from the bathroom was shining on his dick. And that dick was looking like it was glowing. So I asked my mother, not knowing, because remember, this is the nice one. So I don't really like to snitch on him because he's super nice. Mm. But not knowing that this would be snitching on him, I would ask my mother, why does... Now, mind you, I'm like six or seven. I would ask my mother, why does Uncle Billy's penis glow? <laughs> now, remember, <laughs> now, remember, my mother is a, a victim of sexual abuse. So when she yeah. heard me talk about his penis, she's like, what are you doing to my baby? Why does he know about your penis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my and gosh. So, and so he's like, I don't know what <laughs> he was talking about. <laughs> and so when I explained it to my mom, and then they put two and two together. It was it was the condom. The condom mm. was on his dick and it just looked like it glowed. So I remember I was really sexually aroused by my Uncle Billy. And mm. I was like, he was really nice to me and treated me so nice. And I would like sit on his lap and try to feel his penis while I'm sitting on his lap. And he, like, once he figured out that that's what I was trying to do, he wouldn't let me sit on his lap anymore. And mm. I was like, this is like six, seven, eight years old. So they, they being around them and how sexual they were in their teenage years. And you know, when you're younger, you think of teenagers kind of as adults, like they are your babysitters. Right. You don't, you don't know that they are, um, that they are really kids too, but. Right. Right. But I would just being around them and then being so sexual, having girls in and out and all of that would sexually arouse me in multiple situations I was in. And those was just a few. Mm. Oh my God, those stories were hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about who gave you a sex talk, if you ever had a sex talk. Like who gave you the birds and the bees talk? What was it like? How old were you? And how did that conversation resonate with you then? As a queer person, well, let me say specifically queer male, conversations about sex really revolve around anti-gayness. Mm they they rarely are giving you really specific things about the birds and the bees because the birds and the bees for a cishet person is girl and a boy. Right. So they're not giving you conversations about, um, by the time those conversations was needed, I was really, I knew that I was attracted to boys. Mm-hmm. Not at early on, I hadn't had the come to realize moment of, you know, my identity, but my orientation, yes. I knew that I was sexually orientated to be attracted to men. It, But at that time, it was more about me hiding it because I knew gayness was not okay to my family. So I couldn't have, if I if they were having birds and bees questions, it was them probing to see if I was gay. Mm. Like it was, it was not to. And then when I wouldn't answer the question, when I was, or when I would lie and say, no, I'm not gay, um, then it will go into trying to c- convince me to avoid being gay. It was not necessarily about 
sex. It was fear mongering. You know, if you start having sex with me, you're going to get them AIDS because I was born in 81. Mm -hmm. So, you know, AIDS was just a big gay rain cloud over gay people. (laughs) So they would use it as a fear tactics. Like if you go mess with boys, you're going to, you know, you're going to get AIDS. So, and then you're going to die. You don't want to get AIDS and die, do you? Mm. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be about safe sex. It would be about avoiding me being gay. So it, I never had like birds and bees talk like that. I remember when I got even older, where my identity was. Now I'm like, okay, I'm trans. Like I, I realized that I was a trans person, um, and this is about twelve ish. Mm-hmm. And my mother. And so when I started, I started my when I started to identify as a girl. I started to slowly, because I knew my family wasn't going to accept it. So I started to slowly change how I dress my hair. I started to grow my hair out. I started to get, you know, clear polish on my nails. I started to get, my clothes started to get tighter. You know, I was gradually getting to where I could just fully dress like a girl, Mm -hmm. but I knew they weren't going to be able to accept it. So I just try to slowly do it. But I still never had told my mom that I was gay, trans or anything. And I remember my mom was in the middle of her drug addiction. And we were in a bathroom and she asked me, are you gay? Like, what are you, are you trying to be a girl or something? What's going on? And I was like, no, I knew she wasn't okay with it. My mom is a very stereotypical homophobic mom. <laughs> and I knew she wasn't okay with anything that I said. So I would say, I would say, no, I'm not. Why do you keep asking me? And she was like, I, I can, now mind you, she's in the middle of her addiction. She says, I can pay, I can give some, I can smoke with a crackhead if she, and she'll give you some pussy. Now, mind you, my mom is a crackhead too. Mm. <laughs> mm. She was like, so she was offering to barter some drugs to get a crackhead to sleep wow. with me. Wow. And I was like, what kind of shit is this? Like in my mind, I'm, I was like 12, 13 and I was like, I was like, this is so weird. Like, who, who mother does this? <laughs> like, let me, And she would not let me leave the bathroom. She has me in the bathroom. So I'm sitting on the toilet, not using the toilet, but just sitting on it. And she's in the, in the mirror in front of the door. And every time I would try to get up and leave, this was her way of doing some kind of intervention mm. and force me to come out to her because she didn't understand why I wouldn't be honest with her. Yeah. These are the type of conversations that I would have. It would not be like, you know, this is what you do with a condom. This is the female parts of the body. This is the male parts of the body. Right. This, you know, it would never it would never be conversations like that. It was conversation revolving around anti-gayness. And so mm. I never got I didn't get those conversations until I got older with my peers. What did what did you think? Sex. I mean, it sounds like you knew what sex was back then because uh-huh. you were, you had had these experiences when you were really young and then slightly young and then up until now. Like, it seemed like you had yeah. a cognizance of what sex was, but like, what did you think sex was based on like your very perhaps limited understanding of both like what sex is and also like your personal sexual identity? So I knew that sex was about personal pleasure that's like i said sexual energy started around these seven 16 17 year old teenage boys right and so i knew that they were doing it for the pleasure of it i did not know the procreation part of it i didn't learn that until my mother got pregnant Mm. so when i was five 
she would talk about it. And I, <laughs> when I would see, I realized that what I would see my uncles and them doing led to my mama getting pregnant. Uh, okay. <laughs> because I would hear about STDs that they were catching, like the boys. I would hear about, and it would be in conversations about getting pregnant and about abortion. So even early, between five and like eight, these things were happening. So I was able, and I was a smart child, so I was able to put two and two together without the conversation that Mm. This is where babies lead to. Like mm-hmm. you can get pregnant from the stuff that they were doing. So when I would catch them or see them having sex in my room or da da da, I knew that that's what led to babies being made. This is something I think about a lot, like for myself too, because I I sometimes ask myself these very same questions of like, when did I know that sex was a thing? Like when did I start feeling sexual urges? Maybe even before I knew that they were sexual urges, and I know right. what they feel like now in my body because you know I'm fully in, embodying and inhabiting that. Um, but I would even I would even think back to the times when I would see sex scenes in because my, my parents they yes. they let me watch like r-rated movies with them they their belief was like oh if you're sitting right next to us it's fine like you have an adult so you know you can watch r-rated movies which i mean i have so many feelings about that but i do remember being very very young and when those sex scenes came on like i didn't have any conversations about sex with my parents at that time but there was something that was that I knew intuitively that was either happening in my body or it was just like an intuitive hit that like I knew that that was a thing and I didn't really have a name for it. I couldn't like right. put a word to it. But I think about this a lot about how like I think a lot of us like maybe because we're animals first and foremost, but like <laughs> a lot of us like like we 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 know what sex is like without us having like an intellectual connection or a word to name it. Does that make sense? Yes. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think about this a lot about how, you know, it's, I, and even when I'm in sessions with clients, they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I never really knew what sex was until blah, blah, blah. And then they start talking about it and then they realize, like, no, you did. Like, actually you did. <laughs> you just like, you didn't have and a name for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's like the trans experience. It's like, you knew, like I didn't have the, I didn't know what transsexual was or transgender was. I didn't know those words that were language that my family were using. They were a homophobic churchy religious family. So they didn't have the education to use that language. I had to go through life and learn what those words mean. And and it's the same thing with sex. I had to learn. And those little experiences, like when you talk about R-rated movies, I remember when I was younger, there used to be a TV series called Friday the 13th, and it was a spinoff from the actual movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it didn't really have Jason in it, but there were like different little monsters that would come that they would fight or whatever. One of the reoccurring monsters that they were battling was this guy that was so beautiful. Like he was so attractive. The character was so attractive. And he would attack people and take their life force. But the way the scene was set up, it almost would look like a rape, but it wouldn't be sexual, but it would look like that. Mm. And he would take their energy. Mm-hmm. Seeing that show on TV and how I was attracted to him. And I, I'm like, ooh, I wish he would do that to me. I... <laughs> I used to pretend I would get on my bed because I started masturbating when I was like nine. I would get on my bed and put the pillow on top of me and pretend the guy is on top of me trying to rape me. Mm. And I would eventually 
give in to the pleasure of it. <laughs> and so it was it, looking back on it, it's really weird, but it it was it's what it was. I would watch these shows and there was no adults around to talk to me about it. You see what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. it would that was something that started that that domination, that being dominated, that being in the girl position and the girl position at the time when it comes to film, especially in the 80s, you know, it wasn't as politically correct. Now, that was my introduction to physical sexual arousal, like seeing these scenes, seeing these things. And it usually involved like a rape or some passionate moment that wasn't necessarily a rape, but it was like a passionate, aggressive moment. So I associate Mm -hmm. aggression with sex, like the lust of it. Oh my God, he's really into her. Look how he is kissing her. And you know, it wasn't a rape, but there are scenes that weren't rape and he was and he was just just going after her like it was a lustful passion. So that's why I associated with somebody being attracted to me, that lustful chase. Mm. And that played out even in my teen years. That played out in my adult. Uh, I had to learn that sometimes that can lead to some unhealthy things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about uh, ravishment fantasies. Yeah. Like, as, as a way to, like, take back or reclaim the notion of like wanting to be taken without it being rape. Cause I talk about this a lot too, with my clients who are like, I have these fantasies and they are rape fantasies. I'm like, well, are they really rape fantasies? Because I don't think you would actually like want to be raped. You're not fantasizing right. about being raped, but you are fantasizing about being taken. Like you're fantasizing about someone who wants you so much that mm-hmm. they like make you melt and they just like bring you to this like tip of ecstasy. And all you have to do is surrender to it. So like, I I like that you're talking about that. Yeah, that's totally what it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to know about like when you started to come into your sexual identity. Like it sounds like you, you knew you had, you had an idea of your sexual orientation, but what was that process of you coming into your sexual identity and how did you like start to feel comfortable or maybe not comfortable, but just a little bit more centered in it, if that makes sense? All my younger years was tons of experimentation with my peers. Like I had guy peers, little boy peers when I was a little boy that we would go to the bathroom and pee at the same time. Say, oh, we got, we both got to use the bathroom. Let's go to the bathroom and pee at the same time. And we will both whip our penises out and start peeing at the same time. And then in that moment, Ooh, look how yours look. Look at your circumcision scar. Ooh, you don't have a circumcision scar. Not that we would know what it means, but now that I'm a dog, right, right. that's what it would be. Um, <laughs> right. Look at how big yours is. Look how big mine is. Look, you get what I'm saying? We are having these conversations and it's leading to things. And then because I was a feminine boy child, like they would interact with those energy. Like they would interact with the feminine energy. I remember my friend named Marcus, we were like six or seven and he was in my house and we were coloring and he was like, oh, hey, let's play house. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, we can't play house because we don't have any girls. And he was like, you act like a girl. You can be the girl. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, cool. I always wanted to be the girl. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> It's my moment. So great. Somebody asked me. (laughs) I would lead into, you know, I'm cutting out little things that look like eggs and bacon and I'm making the food, doing all the things that the girly stuff to do. And then he leads into, let's go in the closet and do it. (laughs) 
And so I'm like, oh, okay, this part. <laughs> so we go in the closet and he gets on top of me and hump me and he's humping and I feel like he's not humping the right way. <laughs> so, and so I say, I say, oh no, let me get on top and show you how to hump because you're not doing it the right way. You're supposed to do it like oh, yes. this. <laughs> you're supposed to do it like this. And he was doing this real fast hump and I was like, Mm-mm, you got to do hump with like this, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was like, okay, okay. And he got annoyed by me showing him, of course, like niggas do. Right, right. And he got annoyed and got back on top and started doing it the right way. Right in that mm. moment, my mother bust open the door of the closet and say, what the fuck are y'all in here doing? And she whoops me. Mm. And so... She grabs him because she don't, she, her rule is don't nobody whoop, be, whoop on my child except for me. And so she's not going to whoop on nobody else's children. Um, and her philosophy was, um, I don't want nobody able to whoop you to instill fear in you for them, for you not to tell. Once again, a victim of sexual assault, she doesn't want anybody whooping her children to be able to instill fear for them not to tell me what happened. If something right. tell her what happened. So her that she had that rule with other people's kids. So she brought her, she brought Marcus upstairs upstairs to his mother and was like, You need to whoop his butt. They were down here humping like fags. Da, 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 da. So I got on punishment and I couldn't go outside for a week. I asked Marcus, did he get a whooping too? And he was like, No. And I was like, Oh, why? And he was like, his stepdad told his mom, You bet not whoop that boy for that because I told you to stop letting him go down there and play with that fag. Mm. And so in that moment, I realized that being a fag was bad. <laughs> I was the fag, whatever it was. I didn't have any kind of idea. I assumed that because I liked the boys, like boys were my arousal, that that was what it was. I didn't know, you know, I hadn't put, I didn't know the nuance of being gay because I hadn't had sex yet you see what I'm saying I didn't right. know I didn't know about that and of course I wasn't to the point of admitting I was a homosexual or anything like that because I didn't know the word homosexual <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I learned that it was something bad and I learned that it was something that I needed to hide my experimentation from that around that fourth with girls was always awkward when I would experiment with girls like I remember my cousin she's three years older than me she would masturbate and make me watch her masturbate mm. because I didn't understand masturbation. Mm-hmm. And mind you, she's, I'm, I think I was, I remember I was like nine and she was like 12. And I remember her putting my head under the covers, not touching me, but I just, she just would want me to watch it. And so she would masturbate and it was so awkward because your parts look different than mine and there's nobody here to explain why. <laughs> um, why are you playing with your parts? Why? I didn't understand anything like that. I remember my friend PJ, his sister would make us play hide and seek and he, she would force him to be the one who was it and told him to count to 100. She would make me hide with her in the closet and rub her vagina on my face while we're in the closet hiding. Mm. And I didn't know what that was for. Now she was 13. I was probably around six. She would, she would do this. And this would be something that was reoccurring. I wouldn't know why she would do it. 
it would feel like a damn Brillo pad rubbing rubbing on my face. <laughs> Cause she, cause she had hair. Cause she, cause she was like thirteen and she had hair on her vagina. So she, I'm like, right. what is, what's the point in this? And so I was confused by that. And being that I was a light skinned little boy, we know how colorism works in the black community. Girls fetishized light skinned little boys. Oh, you. They would say shit like, "Oh, you're gonna be fine when you grow up," and this would be the same girls that would try to hunt me in. You know, they just would do these weird little things and it was really awkward. But the situations that I would have with boys was way more exciting. It was way more like, oh, this is, it was the role of the girl that I would, they would put me in. It would, it was just more exciting for me. And um, that's just what it was. It was just, that's how I started to solidify after that, that yes, I do like boys. Uh, but of yes, of course, I have to hide it from people because they don't like it. I started to be more timid because I knew the way I talked triggered people. I remember when I moved to Boston. I'm from Indianapolis, and we're a little bit more country than East, Co- East Coast people. So my teachers would like make fun of how I talk and get the kids to laugh at me if I was I was a little bit feminine. So they would say, "Why you talk like a girl?" and and I just knew to be quiet, even though I was a precocious, really talkative child, I had to undo that and learn to be quiet and seem to be more timid, even though I would, that was not my natural personality. And then once I got older and I found other LGBT folks, then I was like, oh, this is a community. Mm. But that was way earlier. I want to say like 13 when I started to dress different mm. and meet other LGBT people. And I'm like, oh, so this is what this is. Yeah. When did when did you come out both as a trans person and as a queer person? So there wasn't really a come out moment. Like if you talk to my mom, I have an interview on my with my mom on my YouTube channel. And she says there wasn't no come out moment. She's like, I already knew. She's like, I knew you when you were like two. Mm. <laughs> I could pick out. I didn't condone it, but I knew it. And I didn't push it and I didn't push against it or da 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 I went into a group home when I was like 13 and that's when I really started because when you live in, in a group home the state is your parents so they can't really kick you out yeah <laughs> so I was able so I was able to you know dress how I want to without the consequences or fear of somebody threatening to kick you out which I would have if I was um with my mom I don't know I the fear was there she said that wouldn't happen. And I do think it was. I think my mama's, what she feels about being a mother, like her reputation to herself and other people uh, as a mother is stronger than her homophobia. Yes, I may be homophobic, but nobody is going to be able to say that I didn't love my children unconditionally. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. kick you out. I would raise hell, but I'm never going to kick you out and turn my back on you because I would not want the embarrassment of being that mother. When I went into the group home, I just started to be able to live my life. At the time, like I said, my mother was in the full swing of her addiction. So she wasn't, you know, she living on the street, living on people's couches and da, 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 da. And um, I remember going to where she was and I was in living as a girl, you know, living my full womanhood at the teenage girlhood at the time. And I walked in and she looked at me and she was like, hmm, you really look good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was like, she was like, uh, I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't really say something. It like, it's not like you run around looking like a linebacker. <laughs> you really, you know, you look good. So, 
okay so this is what it is mm. <laughs> and so and that goes with the passing privilege that trans people get for some reason if you look the part cis people treat you better yeah. <laughs> unfortunately yeah. but yeah. yes that's how the identity came it really wasn't necessarily a coming out moment but it was the first time that she saw me yeah well, what about you? Did you did you come out to yourself? Because like as a queer person myself too, like I know that there's a the perhaps even before you come out of the closet to other people, you have this moment of being like, oh yeah, I, I'm like queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like did you have that moment with yourself too? Maybe not before. Um, maybe even before people started to notice. I don't know. Yeah, I can't say that it was a. Uh... Um, a particular moment. I just once I just gradually realized that all the stuff that was happening with girls, I wasn't, I didn't like it. It was awkward. Yeah. It wasn't. And then all the stuff that I was liking with boys, I was enjoying those experimentation experiences. And this is from like five to like 12. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of oral going on, <laughs> not any kind of pe- penetration, but a lot of oral sex going on us with my peers. So it's not somebody molesting me. It's um, my peers. We would be experimenting. I remember my mother had a friend named Vivian and she had a son who was my exact same age. And anytime we would spend a night, either he spent a night over my house or I spent a night over their house, we would 69 with each other. And this is from four, four years old to like eight. <laughs> wow not what i was doing it for <laughs> no. so, you know and we would do the normal stuff too like play games and uh, play atari but nighttime is the right time baby <laughs> um, uh, so yes, that's what it, I can't say that it was just a specific moment. It just was gradually understanding what these words that I was being called, gradually understanding yeah. the experiences that I was having, and accepting the feelings like, hey, like I like this. I guess specifically where I guess it would be like nine. Let's say nine. Nine was okay. really where okay, I like boys, and I'm gonna put myself in situations where boys like me <laughs> and and that's that's what it turned that's what it turned into The Sexually Liberated Woman celebrates sexual liberation. And since you're listening to this podcast, I think it's pretty safe for me to assume that you want to be about this life. Maybe you're already on your sexual liberation journey and you're starting to explore your erotic self bit by bit. Or maybe you're one of the many, many people out there who isn't at all comfortable with their sexuality, but wants to be. No matter where you are on your journey, I would love the opportunity to help you step out of shame and into sexual empowerment via one-on-one mentoring, fierce guidance, and resources that support your healing. If you're ready to be sexually free, go to evianwhitney.com slash shop and start your sexual liberation journey today. That's E-V-Y-A-N-W-H-I-T-N-E-Y dot com slash shop to begin your sexual awakening. I'll see you there.
Okay. So tell me about your sex life today, like more, more so adult diamond styles. Like Mm -hmm. what is, what is your sex like today? What is your sexual identity like today? I, yeah, I want to, I want to hear all about that. Today, I, I am a, if I, if my brain matched, matched my body, (laughs) I would be a bi-curious female. Hmm. Because my my norm is men. So I love cishet men. I consider myself a woman. So that's why I would kind of consider myself heterosexual. You know, I, I like, I'm a woman. I like men. That's what it is. But as I've gotten older, I have gotten more expansive so that I learned that I like breasts. Breasts are pretty cool. Breasts are, <laughs> breasts are pretty cool. I also like... The idea of performing oral sex on a vagina, the penetration part I'm not attracted to, but the oral, mm-hmm. because I like to please, that's just who I am. The oral part is attractive. I never had any kind of sexual experience as an adult with a female body person, but I have dreams and, you know, I've, I've seen things that arouse me and that kind of stuff. So I would be like a bi-curious, I'm open to playing around now that I'm older. So yeah, like a bi-curious female. But, okay, you know, that's what that's my mentality. Have you done anything to explore your bi-curiosity? Like, I'm just sincerely curious. No, I haven't. Like, like we talked about the ravish, the ravishing fantasy. I have, because that is the foundation of kind of like my sexuality. I like me, I like to be chased and women. Yeah, you like to be taken. Yeah, so women don't really play that role well. <laughs> because it's not it's not culturally what they're taught to do. I'm sure somebody out here does it, but yeah. you got to find that person that does it well and they're into a trans woman. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's the right, combination right. of those things. I have not met somebody that can engage with me like a like a cishet man mm-hmm. yet to make me want to play with them. Well, I'm going to send some some juju your way so that in this year of our Lord 2019, you find the right one, <laughs> the right one to take you and take you there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because we all deserve to have that. Yes, absolutely. But for the past three years, I've been like, okay, I'm going to leave myself open. I'm going to put bye on my dating profiles. I never get hit up by girls. <laughs> I'll put, you know, I'll do these things to open the door. You know, I hope the door opens. I do feel like I negotiate better. I negotiate my pleasure better now than I did before in my teens and teenagers. I have the confidence to do it. I don't have the social role rules in the way of my pleasure. As a trans woman, trying to convince people of my womanhood that translates to family that translates to sexual partners that translates to everybody. So how it manifests in sexual partners is I want you to see me as a woman. So I want to do all the things that women, what I think that women should do. So in that moment, and that's good for guys because they ain't got to do all the things that actually create pleasure for my body. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I had to negotiate with myself and with people to learn that, hey, this is the body you have and you can neglect it for the sake of being this perfect woman 
because you have a penis, y'all. <laughs> you have a penis, y'all, and you have to accept that until you get a sex change, until if or if you're gonna get one, if you're not gonna get one, whatever. This is your body right now, and you're in a sick sexual situation right now. <laughs> you're in a sexual situation, so you can sit there and get fucked in your ass. It's pleasurable, but it doesn't actually make me nut. I'm, I'm sure somebody, mm-hmm. other people say that it does. It doesn't make me nut, and I can suck dick. All that revolves around his penis and making him. Okay. And so when I was younger, doing those things were a part of the job. Like I thought being a woman, that's it was revolved around his pleasure. And so when I got older, guys who wanted to experiment, um, because sometimes guys mess with us for two different reasons. Um, Sometimes it's, I really think of you as a woman and I'm just going to keep continue to see you like that. But also it's, I think of you as a gateway to homosexuality. So I'm going to use mm. you as the experimentation because you at least look like a girl. But I'm attracted to boys too, but I, I, I'll tr- experiment with you first. So, mm. And those are two different type of guys um, that engage with trans women. Um, I don't know. And I'm in talking to trans men, I've heard that as well in regards to um, how, who, what type of cis women date trans men. Um, so learning that I can negotiate my pleasure. I can say, hey, I like oral sex. And this doesn't make me more or less as a more or less a woman. I want my pleasure. And once I yes. started once I started to negotiate that, I orgasmed more in situations which is the point of casual sex. <laughs> I mean, if, I was, if that's happening, why are you doing it? You know? Yeah. Like what the fuck? So I, and it was so many years and I was sitting <laughs> thinking back at myself like, bitch, you missed a lot, a lot of motherfucking nuts trying to be this perfect cis woman to yourself and to them. Like, to, Ooh, girl, you see Ooh, what I'm speaking, you're speaking my truth too. <laughs> Right. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so true. Not wanting to say, well, oh, I don't really like that. I don't really like how, yeah, you might like it a little rough, but that doesn't make me feel good. But right. I'm, just, I'm just letting you do it rough because I think that's, and you know, you think in my mind, trying to get somebody to fall in love with me, I thought that, you know, your skill, you have to have all this. To keep a man, this was a belief that I had to unlearn, to keep a man faithful and to make him fall in love with me, I had to have all these sexual skills. And being being that I had, I thought that I had one up on a cis woman, you know, because I had an intimate knowledge with how to please a penis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, so I thought that, oh, I just got to turn him out and just do all the freaky stuff that he wants to do. Even if I don't really like it, I, I can, I just need to be that, that bitch that he knows that, oh my God, this is, this is my best sexual experience. And then I come to realize as I got older, it doesn't, you can have all the skills in the world. You can have that intimate firsthand knowledge about, you know, how to please a penis. Um, and a nigga still will cheat. Yeah, <laughs> he, that's he true. Cheat, he will cheat out of curiosity just for some new pussy and come back to you for some skills that he didn't find in her mm-hmm. after he found out that she didn't have it. So it really didn't matter. That does not keep a nigga faithful. 
it can, you know, it can help his attachment to you, but it's not necessarily love. And it could be love too. Whatever that connection is, it's not, it's not, you can't keep him. You ain't going to keep that. So I had to learn that. And then upon learning that, those roles are stupid. You want your pleasure. Sex is meant just like you knew when you were younger. Sexual, having sex was about sexual pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. Pleasure. Why are you not getting pleased? And once mm. I decided that I need to be getting pleased in any sexual situation that I have, either monetarily <laughs> or physically. And so that that comes from my escort time. I would be like, well, you know, either I'm getting some bills paid with this sexual situation or I'm getting a nut. You're not leaving this house house without giving me a nut. End of story. When I learned that, it changed my life. My my sex life went from a three to a fucking 12. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. Oh, my God. I could literally talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> and I would actually love to have you come back on the podcast again to talk about other things. Uh, but my last question is, what does being a sexually liberated woman mean to you? It means freedom from all the rules, freedom to explore without guilt, without shame, without re-traumatization. It's about self-care. It's about love. It's loving yourself. It's about respecting your body on your own terms, just being free from all the shit that, you know, you learned about yourself that could have been negative. And then, oh, now you know that that shit wasn't true and you can navigate the sexual world with your own rules that you make up. Yes. Yeah, that's just what it is. Just the freedom and healthy liberation of yourself. Mm, Yes. Oh, so good. Diamond, thank you so much for sharing your story, for coming on here and just being such a vibrant. I mean, I don't think I've ever laughed this much in <laughs> in an interview before, in a conversation before. So yeah, I, I so appreciate you and um, and the work you do. Please tell people where they can find you and how they can support the work that you do. You can find me anywhere on social media under Diamond Styles, D-I-A-M-O-N-D, Diamond spelled the regular way, Styles, S-T-Y-L-Z, as in zebra. You can find me anywhere, like Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, anywhere. Um, I'm the host of Marsha's Plate. We also have our own platforms. Marsha's Plate is um, named after Marsha P. Johnson, the trans pioneer that fought at the Stonewall Inn for against police brutality. <laughs> so um, Marsha's Plate is Marsha, then S. Plate, Marsha's Plate. That's about it. I think that's all you can find me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and everyone, please check out Marsha's Plate. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's like the one that I tune in um, on the regular. It's so good. It's hilarious, oh, but it's also just you. like... It's just really like heartwarming. And also just the things that you talk about on there. I'm like, oh my God. Like Mm -hmm. I've I've had so many aha moments listening to you guys. So thank you for the work that you do. And also thank you for being here and and sharing yourself with us. Thank you so much for having me.
This podcast is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney. Find me on my website, evianwhitney.com, and on Instagram at evian.whitney to keep up with me and my work. The Sexually Liberated Woman is made possible with editing help by Samantha Riddell and community support from each one of my very special patrons on Patreon. I literally couldn't do this without you. If you want to help sustain the sexually liberated woman, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple podcasts. It helps others find the show. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.